you are listening to Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering time, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. It is good to see you today. Happy Father's Day uh, to all of you dads in the room. Uh, I am uh, always encouraged uh, on Father's Day. You know, oftentimes Father's Day is one of the lowest attended Sundays in the year uh, for many churches. Um, But I'm always encouraged whenever I see dads leading their families well uh, to be here and worship with us. Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Exodus 20 is where we're going to be. Now, uh, today is a special Sunday, not only uh, dads, because uh, we get to celebrate and honor uh, you as God's gift and God's grace in the lives of your families. But uh, we're also kicking off our vacation Bible school week. Uh, So if you are new with us, we don't typically have pink sneakers uh, across the front of the stage. Um, And those certainly are not my size, uh, but uh, we are kicking off VBS uh, this week. And so uh, Miss Mary told me yesterday uh, that we have right over 300 kids registered uh, for VBS. Absolutely. Uh, I told her we just need 1,200 more, right? Uh, She said, please no. (laughs) Um, But uh, I hope that you will pray for Vacation Bible School this week. Uh, Hopefully when you came in, you saw the baskets with names in them. Those are names of kids who uh, have registered uh, to be here. And so grab one of those and pray for them this week. Here's here's what we know is that uh, we're going to have the opportunity to minister to kids this week. Uh, But uh, just as much as we're going to be able to minister to kids, we're going to minister to families. Um, And so there's no telling what the Lord might do uh, through our vacation Bible school. Um, I was out of town most of this week, um, and I was at a, a, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is as boring as it sounds, right? Uh, um, but uh, I was in a room full of pastors one night, and uh, they, they asked us to stand if you'd come to faith uh, in Jesus before 11 years old. And I, my guess is 95% of the room stood. Um, And so we know that that just is the way that the Lord seems to work. Uh, and so Vacation Bible School is a great opportunity. It's a great stewardship. Uh, it's a, a great privilege for us. And so I hope uh, that you will be praying uh, that the Lord would do great things uh, through, through Vacation Bible School. So uh, Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be over the last few weeks. We've, we've been in this series, we're calling it Words from the Fire, uh, where we are studying a, a well-known, well-worn uh, passage in Scripture, uh, the Ten Commandments. And uh, we were talking about Vacation Bible School, so it makes sense to talk about rest, right? Uh, and uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look at this fourth command, and uh, this is the command to rest. This is the Sabbath command, and so uh, maybe, maybe you came in this morning, maybe you came in tired. Maybe you came in worn out. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep last night, or maybe you just feel like you live in a constant state of exhaustion. Well, you wouldn't be alone in feeling that way. A third of Americans self-report to not getting enough sleep. And so what experts tell us is that if a third are willing to say, yes, that's me, that number's probably actually closer to uh, 50% of Americans. Uh, 50 to 70 million of adults in the United States are are afflicted by some kind of sleep disorder. Uh, In my house, we're afflicted by a sleep disorder called a two-year-old, right? Uh, And so some of you can identify uh, with that. 88% of adults admit to losing sleep, to not getting enough sleep, because they binge watch TV. 
It's fair to say that we have a rest problem, right? We have a sleep problem. In fact, in 2017, the CDC declared that insufficient sleep was a public health problem bordering on the line of a public health crisis. Because whenever we don't rest well, whenever we don't get enough sleep, well, then there are economic ramifications, there are societal ramifications, there are all kinds of problems that are tied to this idea of sleep. But here's what I'm convinced of as we study here in Exodus 20, is that our rest problem isn't just physical, our rest problem is actually spiritual more than physical. And so what we see here in Exodus 20 is this, is that real rest is both physical and spiritual. Real rest is both physical and spiritual. So look with me here at Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read down to verse 11. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in Exodus chapter 20. Starting in verse 8, we read this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you for your grace seen today in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, we're also grateful for your grace seen in dads scattered throughout this room. Father, we're grateful for good fathers who are a blessing and a sign of your kindness and grace towards us. Father, we also recognize this morning that there are some in this room uh, who don't have that story. There are some in this room uh, who struggle to be grateful for uh, the father that they had. Father, I pray that you would, you would remind them, you would remind all of us that there's only one perfect father and it's you. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would rest in that. And Father, I pray this morning that you would teach us how to rest here in your word. Father, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Real rest is both physical and spiritual. And so uh, we think about this Sabbath command to, to remember the, the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Uh, first, we see this is that we keep the Sabbath by working hard. We keep the Sabbath by working hard. Now, whenever we think about Sabbath, we think about rest, maybe, maybe your first thought isn't about working. Working hard might not be what you think about whenever you first think about the Sabbath, and yet that's exactly where uh, this passage begins, and that's where we go. You know, sometimes this uh, fourth command, it can be a confusing command. There's all kinds of questions that swirl around, and so uh, hopefully we'll bring some clarity to those questions today. But the the fourth commandment is an important command. This is the longest command of the Ten Commandments, but also this command is the most quoted command in the Old Testament of any of the Ten Commandments. In the the Pentateuch, the the first five books of Scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, this command is quoted 11 times. And then in the rest of the Old Testament, this command is quoted well over 100 times. This This command is important. This command is a covenant sign that God gave for the world to see. 
One of the things that we've noticed over the last few weeks is that uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the way that we can understand them is that we think about two tables. Right? The, the, the first table of the law, the first table of the commands uh, are the first four commands. And those commands deal with the way that we relate to God. The last six commands, the, the second table of the law, that, that those commands deal with how we relate to one another. And so here in this fourth command, we have the, the last command dealing with how we relate to our God. But in these commands, we see something important about our God. We've said that, that these commands, that they are just as much as communicating something to us about God as much as they are telling us what to do or what not to do. And so those first three commands are communicating just how great our God is. This fourth command is really God showing us that he can be trusted. God showing us that he is trustworthy and it's a call for us to trust him. This is one of the things that, that made Yahweh so unique in the day and the culture that these commands were given. Scholars have scoured through the history of the ancient Near East. They've looked at the different cultures that surrounded Israel at the time and something they can't find anywhere throughout the history of the time is any command in any other culture or any other religion like this, this command to rest. See, this command to rest was the way that Israel declared their trust in God to the world. But we could say that this command is a command to preach. It's a command for Israel to, to preach that their God, that Yahweh, is a God that they can trust. That Yahweh is a God that, that they can hold to. That Yahweh is a God who provides. They didn't need to work every day because they understood that that God was going to provide for them. And so this is really the question of the hour for you and I. This is the question that this, this passage calls us to ask is, do we believe that we can trust God? Do we believe that we can trust Yahweh the way that he had called Israel to trust them? So look at verse eight. In verse eight, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, this idea of remembering the Sabbath day, this isn't merely a, a, an idea of mental recall. If you were to walk into my office just through these doors and look at my desk, you would see yellow post-it notes scattered across my desk and around my computer screen. And, and some of those have very important reminders, very important things that I need to know and that I need to remember. Some of those, I'm sure that they are important. I just can't remember what they say. Right? I just can't remember why I put that note there. What this is, this command is not merely a post-it note telling us to remember the Sabbath day. No, this idea of remembering, what it did was it required acts that demonstrated. The idea was that your life reflected that the Sabbath was holy. Your life reflected that God could be trusted. And the, the first way that we do this is by working hard. See, the, the only way for the Sabbath to be meaningful is if the other six days were marked by work. Look at verse nine. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Right, that, that over those six days that, that you 
You should work hard. It doesn't make any sense to rest from your resting. Instead, we, we rest from the work that we have been doing. In fact, working hard should mark all Christians. Christians of all people should be known as people with a strong work ethic. Christians of all people should be known as people who, who work hard. In fact, to not work hard is a sin. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We, we have these on the screen for you. So whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink, whether you're a baker or a candlestick maker, right? whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This means that, that anything that you do that isn't done to the glory of God is a sin. We cannot glorify God if we're not working with all that we have. Or that all that we are, that we cannot glorify God if we're not working hard. The, the way we work says something about what we believe. See, working hard honors our God who, who gave work to us as a gift. Sometimes we view work as that thing that we have to do, but we don't really want to do. Right? We, we view work as, as that thing that is just drudgery. Maybe we even view it as punishment or something like that. But if you go back and you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what you see is that work was a gift given to Adam long before the fall. That, that in working that we are cultivating, we are subduing. This is what some call the cultural mandate that we've been called to, to go and to create and to do. And, and as we work in our own limited ways that we are actually picturing, we're, we're imaging, we're, we're we're participating in what it means to be made in the image of God. And so whenever we work hard, we're working, demonstrating that work is a gift. But see, laziness dishonors God because it confuses what work really is. Laziness dishonors God because it is impossible to be lazy to the glory of God. It's possible to rest to the glory of God, right? I, Anna asked me this morning what I wanted to do for Father's Day. I said, I want to take a nap, right? Uh, and I believe that a Sunday afternoon nap can be practiced to the glory of God, <laughs> right? Uh, I believe that with all of my heart. But laziness cannot be practiced to the glory of God. Laziness is not doing what you should do. Right? Laziness is, is not doing what you know to do. I, I am guilty of being a procrastinator. Sometimes I live my life by the mantra, why do today what I can put off to tomorrow? Right? Uh, some, of you, uh, some of you might identify with that. But laziness is not a gift. Laziness is not what this fourth command is calling us to. It's calling us to rest because we've worked. It's calling us to rest because we have labored for six days and we have done all of our work. This is a call to trust in a holy God and a good God and a righteous God and a loving God who provides for his people. 
and who cares for his people. And so we, we keep the Sabbath by working hard and understand this, this working hard, this isn't spiritual striving, right? No, this is just doing what we've been called to do. Right? This is working hard. We keep the Sabbath by working hard. Next, we keep the Sabbath by resting well. We keep the Sabbath by resting well. This is more in line with what we associate with the Sabbath in resting. We have the command here in verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In verse 10, we get the the commandment explained in a little more detail. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So what did it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? Well, it meant that on that day, Israel was not to do any work. And notice who it was for. It was for all the people. Look at that passage there. That you don't do any work or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner, no one works. So if you are in Israel geographically, you do not work. If you are in Israel ethnically, you do not work. Sons and daughters, slave and free, Israelite or Gentile, livestock, no one was to work. It was for all of the people. They were to stop their working and they were to rest. Now, in verse 11, we see why this Sabbath command is so important. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath is important because the Lord created in six days and he rested on the seventh day. And the way Genesis 1 through 3 is written, uh, we read it as if the Lord is still resting. The, The Lord is still at rest. And because of that, the Lord blessed the seventh day. Our God, who who never needs rest, does rest. And we who do need rest, we should rest as well. Has it ever occurred to you that that our God has never yawned? Our our God has never wondered what time to go to bed. He he does not sleep. He, He does not slumber. And yet he gives sleep to us as a gift. He he gives sleep to us as a gift, reminding us that we are not ultimate. So you're reminded that the Sabbath is not just about physical rest here, but it's also about spiritual rest and trust, that resting on the Sabbath was an act of faith. It acknowledged that, that Yahweh, that, that God, that he was not only the giver of life, but he was also the sustainer of life. And so every area of Israel's life was to reflect that they belonged to the Lord and they were sustained by him. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God has given us life, that he's made us alive with Christ? And do we believe that he is the one who continues to sustain us? Or do we live and do we move and do we act in such a way as if that God is the one who makes us alive and then everything else is up to us? See, overworking is just as much a sin as laziness. Laziness is an easy sin to call out. And no one, no one wants to be called lazy. No one, no one puts that on their resume, right? Whenever uh, they, the, at the interview, can you tell me some of your weaknesses? Well, I'm a little lazy, right? No, No one says that, right? No, instead what we do is we, we wear overworking as a badge, right? When we interview, well, what's one of your weaknesses? Well, I work too hard and I care too much, right? We say things like that, but what we need to realize is that overworking is just as much of a sin as laziness is. 
Could it be that your temptation to overwork is driven by your trust in yourself more than anything else? Could it be that you are driven to be a workaholic because you believe that you have to be the sustainer of your own life rather than trusting in God who sustains? See, trusting in your own self-sufficiency rather than in God who calls us to trust in him is what leads us to overworking. But whenever we rest, we acknowledge our frailty. When we rest, we acknowledge that the world continues without us. Isn't it amazing that we can sleep and the world keeps moving? It's amazing that that we can sleep and everything holds together, nothing falls apart. See, whenever we rest, we're trusting that God continues to provide, that God continues to work. See, sleep teaches us that he is God and that we are not. But we're tempted to just the opposite. Well, we're tempted to believe that if, if we're not involved, if we don't do it all, then nothing's going to happen or it's not going to hold together or this will happen or that bad thing will happen. And yet what God does is he designs us to sleep so that we will be reminded that our God is in control no matter what we do. So tonight, whenever you lay down to sleep or maybe in a couple of hours, whenever you lay down to take that, God-glorifying nap. You, you can lay your head down or you can lean that recliner back knowing that that sleep is a gift from God who doesn't sleep. That, that that sleep is a gift from God telling you that you don't have to be God and you don't need to be God because you have a better God. Right? You, you have a better Savior. See, an inability to rest may be a sign of a lack of faith more than anything else. Maybe you struggle to go to sleep at night because you can't turn your brain off. I think everyone has probably struggled with that at least once, but maybe that's a chronic problem for you. Maybe you, you lay down in bed at night and that's when the wheels start turning. Maybe... Maybe you lay down in bed at night and and that's whenever you want to have the conversation with your husband or your wife. Not that that's ever happened to me. Uh, But maybe, maybe you lay down in bed at night and that's when your anxiety and your worry starts to creep in. Could it be that the reason that your anxiety and your worry starts to creep in at that moment is because you're trusting in your own strength and in your own wisdom and in your own power and in your own might rather than trusting in God who holds the universe together simply by the word of his mouth? Could could it be that that anxiety that you feel, whether it be when you're going to sleep or whether it be as you go about your day, that you're feeling that anxiety because you have misplaced your faith? You've put your faith or your hope or your trust in yourself or or you've put your faith or your hope or your trust in someone else rather than in God who loves you and who has sent his son, Jesus Christ, uh, to die for you. See, that's where ultimately this command is going, that we keep the Sabbath by working hard, we keep the Sabbath by resting well, and then finally we keep the Sabbath by trusting Jesus. This Sabbath command, it wasn't just a command for physical rest, but also spiritual rest. 
It's a rest that we all need. And, and understand this, that this rest is only available through Jesus. In fact, it is impossible to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, you cannot keep this command. Matthew chapter 12, verse eight, we have this on the screen for you. Jesus says this, he says, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so to know what real Sabbath rest looks like, we must know the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us true rest. See, that's where this command is ultimately moving. This, this command is moving to trust. Israel was to refrain from working as a reminder to themselves and to the world of who sustained them. So you understand that, that this command, this law, was ultimately pointing us to Jesus. This law, this command, was a shadow of the real thing, the true thing that was to come. Hebrews chapter four, we have these verses on the screen. This is a little bit of a longer passage. We're gonna read these first 10 verses of Hebrews four. We read this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's a long passage, and it's a wordy passage, and maybe... Maybe it's even a confusing passage for you. I'd encourage you to go back and just spend some time working your way through that passage and through the context. But I love what the ESV study Bible says on this verse. It says, therefore, the Sabbath rest remains possible for God's people to enter even now in this life. The promise of entering now into this rest means ceasing from the spiritual strivings that reflect uncertainty about one's final destiny. It means enjoyment of being established in the presence of God, to share in the everlasting joy that God entered when he rested on the seventh day. So ultimately, this Sabbath rest is a rest not pointing us only to rest from working, but it's also a rest from striving. It's a rest from earning. It's that in Jesus Christ, he has promised us rest. There are a lot of things to worry about today, aren't there? When we got back from being out of town this week, one of the first things I wanted to look at, one of the first things I wanted to notice was, what's the price of gas this week? Maybe like me, you, you drive down the road, you, you notice the gas prices are up or down or, or wherever they may be that day. Maybe 
Maybe you, you notice and you worry, maybe you feel that the price at the grocery store has gone up. There's no shortage of things to worry about. Maybe, maybe this morning you're, you're sitting here and maybe you're worried about a son or a daughter. Maybe you're worried about where they are or what they are doing. I, I got a text last night from a pastor friend who, whose son had left. He, he had rebelled against God. They had just found out this and he decided at 12.30, two nights ago, that he was done. He was leaving. Maybe, maybe you feel that today. You're worried about a family member or a loved one. Maybe you're worried about a meeting that you have to have tomorrow at work. Maybe you're worried about how you're gonna pay the light bill or how this is gonna happen or how that is going to happen. The fourth commandment tells us that our worries can stop because our God always provides. And we see it most clearly in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have everything that we need. Our eternity is secure. And if our eternity is secure, then God hasn't forgotten about your tomorrow. God hasn't forgotten about your today. That even now, God is loving you. Even now, God is working in you. Even now, God is providing for you. See, Jesus gives us rest from our burdens, not by telling us to ignore them. Jesus never says that, hey, if you really want rest, uh, then just ignore your worries. He never says, if you want rest, then just forget about it. No, Jesus says that if you want to find real rest and real freedom from worry, then the trick, the secret, isn't to ignore it. The secret is, is to bring it to him. Right, the, the secret is to, to cast our burdens at his feet. That we can give him our cares because get this, the God of the universe cares for you. And it's not that he cares for you as if you are one of them, but he cares for you by name. And he cares for me by name. He, he cares for us. He knows your concerns. He knows your cares. He knows your worries better than you do. He knows your cares. He knows your concerns. He knows your worry before you know what to worry about. Get this. Jesus knows what you're going to worry about tomorrow. Jesus knows what you're going to worry about next week or next month or next year. But let me ask you this. How many of your worries from June 18th, 2022 matter today? A rule I try to live my life by is the 10,000 year rule that I'm gonna worry about what matters 10,000 years from now. And what matters 10,000 years from now has already been secured by Jesus Christ. That, that what matters 10,000 years from now, Jesus has already taken. Jesus is already gone. He's already prepared that place. And so if we come to him by faith, then we can have real rest. See, real rest is both physical and spiritual. So when we think about this fourth command, a few questions that we need to ask ourselves. First is this, how do you work? Maybe you need to examine your work habits. Our work should reflect our faith. And so do you work in a distinctly Christian way? Here's what I've been convicted about as I've studied this passage, is that it is completely possible to do the work of a pastor in an unchristian way. It's completely possible for me to work as if it all depends on me. 
It's completely possible for me to work as if I need to be the savior or as if I need to be the hero. But here's what I want you to know is that that temptation isn't just for pastors. That temptation is for you as well. That you would work in such a way that you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to do this and you've got to do that because if you don't do it, then it's not going to get done and you've got to be your own little savior. Or you've got to be your family's own little savior. Dads, this is a real temptation for us, isn't it? We want to be providers. We want to be protectors. We, we want to be the one that our families turn to. But dads, here's the best gift that you can give your family is that in the moment of need, in the crisis, that they wouldn't turn to you, but that they would turn to Jesus, that they would turn to him. See, we work hard to honor God and we rest well because we know that he is the one who ultimately cares for and sustains us. But the, the next question is this, is are you trusting the Lord with today and tomorrow? He's understand this, that worry is work. And so are you trusting him or are you trusting in yourself? And maybe, maybe there's this question that you've been asking. Maybe you're the, the, the astute Bible reader, the astute Bible student, and maybe you're saying, well, Ethan, the Sabbath was Saturday, not Sunday. Why do we treat Sunday as the Sabbath day? Well, we treat Sunday as the Lord's day because that's the day that Jesus secured our rest. That on Sunday, Jesus rose from the grave. And so we gather together on Sundays to remind ourselves of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, right? To remind ourselves that this is the day that Jesus rose. Right, that every Sunday really is Easter Sunday. Right, every Sunday we get to celebrate that we have freedom from working, we have freedom from striving, we have freedom from earning because Jesus is alive. See, the, the danger that you and I have is that we would walk in such a way that we think we have to earn. Some of you, even this morning, you've come to this place weighed down, feeling the burden that you just can't measure up. Maybe you come in and you feel week after week that you just, you can't be good enough. You can't be strong enough. You, you can't be right enough. Maybe even, maybe this morning you were in here and you feel like you don't deserve to be here. Maybe, maybe this morning you feel like you just haven't been good enough. Can I tell you something? You can never be good enough. I can never be good enough. I can never measure up. Even my best work, my best behavior, still tainted by sin. But here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not do more. The good news of the gospel is that it's finished. Or that on the cross, Jesus Christ said that the work was done. And so what Jesus calls you to do, what he offers to you even now, is not this call. The gospel is not come and do more. The gospel is come and rest with me. Come and abide in me, is what Jesus says. Come and experience my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness. And the, the only way that his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness are available to you and me is by faith. 
by hope, by trust that Jesus would be our treasure. And so we come to this place where we say, you know what, I'm not going to trust in what I can do any longer. I'm not gonna trust in who I can be to get me to heaven or to make me right with God. I can't make me right with God. The only person who can make me right with God is God. And that's exactly what the God-man Jesus Christ has done. And so for some of us, we need to be reminded of that and we need to rest in that. We need to marinate in that truth that I've been made right with Jesus, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And I can cease from my striving. But maybe some of us, maybe for the first time, you need to come and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to make Jesus your treasure. Maybe, maybe you've come to that point. You've said, you know, I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of, tired of working. I want to trust. I want to rest. And if that's you, I hope that, that today you would do that. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. And so I hope that today you will come and you will experience and you will encounter the rest that only Jesus can provide. I'm going to pray and, and we're going to sing. And as we sing, uh, we'll have a Next Steps team down front. And they're here really to just help you do just that. Take your next step. So maybe you'd say, hey, I, I just need someone to, to pray with me. Maybe you say, I need to talk to someone about this rest and this Jesus that, that you've talked about. That's exactly what they're here for. They're, they're here to walk with you. That's what we're here. We're here to walk with you as we follow Jesus together. So would you pray with me now? Lord, thank you for the rest that only Jesus can provide. Father, thank you for the great grace that only Jesus can give. Father, I pray that that you would give us freedom from our striving. You would give us freedom from our working, thinking that if we work hard enough, then we can be good enough. But Father, you would remind us that that the bad news is bad, that we are broken beyond being able to fix ourselves, but that the good news is better, that Jesus has come to make us new. That Jesus has come to make the dead alive. And so Father, I pray that you would do just that this morning, that you would make the dead come to life. Father, forgive us where we act as if it's all on us and it's all about us. And Father, instead, help us to turn our focus to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.